Come on, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we came to offer ourselves to you. We're broken. <laughs> and many of us are hurting. And we wonder if we fit. And we don't feel like we can ever be a part of something so beautiful as the kingdom you're building, but we haven't understood the ability of the master craftsman to shape our lives together into a house that houses your Holy Spirit. We are distributed in so many geographies and so many different biographies. But you can take each one of us and you can shape our hearts that we love like you love. And you can shape our treasures that they can do wondrous things in this world to break the gates of hell. And you can shape our minds so that we might have the mind of Christ to come now in your word and make us more like Jesus and help us to change this world. We pray in his name. Amen. I've told you before about a teacher I used to have. You might have had one like it. That she'd come in and she'd say, okay, now put your thinking caps on. And when she said that, what she meant was, this is going to be a really difficult lesson. So, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Put your thinking caps on. Now, I know several of you are saying, oh gosh, this is going to be so boring. Yes. But that doesn't make it less important. Let me tell you what we're going to accomplish this morning. I want to explain why we are the church distributed. Did you ever have to, name, have to explain the name of your church to anybody? We are Northern Church Distributed. What's that? Well, let me give you a little hand this morning. Let me tell you why we're doing what we're doing. First of all, I want to go back to the very beginning. When I said in the very beginning of the year, God wants 2015 to be the best year you've ever lived in your whole life. And he wants it to be the beginning of the best season you've ever had in your life, no matter what your circumstances. And the way he's gonna do that is very simple. As we become immersed in the nature of God, we will take on his power and his purpose. And there's a very simple, though not easy, step toward that, the, the process toward that. First of all, it's you and Jesus, just like you, just like you figured. You gotta have a personal relationship with God. God didn't send us a religion. He sent us a relationship that comes through an actual person, Jesus Christ. So you start with, I am, I'm with Jesus. And you don't just start once with that, or you make a pronouncement one day, you're like, I'm with Jesus every day. I'm with Jesus in every circumstance, me and Jesus. But you don't get very far into that until you realize this. You will never maximize your capabilities nor achieve your full mission by yourself. 
If God is a relationship, and he is, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons yet one. God himself is a relationship, and he made us in his image, and he made us for relationships. Without those close spiritual relationships, we will not have the development nor the protection that we need to accomplish the fullness of his purpose in our life. And so all of us need an us. All of us need a spiritual family. And as we start looking at the church, that's exactly what the church is supposed to be. Spiritual family. Now you gotta get a portion of churches like this to be your spiritual family because spiritual family means they walk with you in your life. They know who you are. None of us will be fully discipled without people who are walking with us who know exactly who we are. But it doesn't stop there. Because our purpose isn't us. Our purpose isn't just to find other Christians to be close to and to support us and to protect us. Our purpose is them. They're why we're still here. Because God loves them as much as he loves us. And so therefore, he wants us to go to them and show them God's love. Show them who he is because he wants them to come to him also. And we're the vehicles for that. That's why we're still here. Otherwise, you'd be in heaven right now. Now, where do we do that? Not here. Not just here. I mean, you can put a bumper sticker on the back of your car, follow me to Northland. <laughs> Tell you ain't gonna have much of, not, not gonna have much luck with that. You know, nobody nobody just says, Oh goody, I get to go to a church building anymore. No, this is a wonderful place to come and get renewed and revived, but the church has to be formed out there because that's where people live. And if the objective of the church is to make disciples, watch this, and to be built into a force that literally breaks the gates of hell. Remember what Jesus defined the church? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. There ain't a whole lot of hell in here, but there's a whole lot of hell out there. And so if we're gonna break the gates of hell, we gotta go out there, break the gates of hell. Because hell is in people's lives. Hell is what people face every day they live. That's where the church needs to be formed. That was the vision of Christ. To make disciples into a church that would bust up hell in this world and reign in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he taught us to pray. Now one more, one more installment. And then we're going to go into first principle. I'll explain that next week. But, but here, comes, here comes the really boring part, but the really important part. Scripture describes the importance. Let me go over here and write it down. The importance of, where we are, structure. impacts function. All of you who are architects know exactly what I'm talking about. In other words, how you structure your relationships 
will make all the difference in the world of how effective you are in this world. How much of an impact you have in this world. That's why when we talk about the church, it's not just, you know, let's get together and love on each other and love on Jesus. Now the structure of the church becomes very important. The structure of your relationships become very important. Because when it comes to love, look at what God did. All of us say they worship a God of love. Most people would say they worship a God of love. But when the word became flesh, love became a whole different deal. The structure of that word into a human that could actually hug and, and love and heal and grieve and eat and, and, and laugh along with other people. That love became real, real. And we saw who God was and we understood what love was through the life of Jesus. You see, structure impacts function. And so, what does God want from us in our relationships? What does he want from us? You see, the whole kingdom has to be built on relationships. Why? Because God's a relationship. And the kingdom's all about God. But it's got to be built on relationships where we do two things for each other. We can, we can, we can, by the way, you can, okay, you did take it down. We can see this in Genesis where he took man and put him into the garden to what? To cultivate it and to protect it. Avad and Shamar. That's, those are the Hebrew words. He had two, two things he needed to do. When he, when, he, when he made the woman for the man, this was supposed to, supposed to be what they were doing for each other. To cultivate, that is to bring out in you what you can't bring out in yourself. That's why you need some outsider to help you. All of us want to grow, all of us want to be developed, but we all need somebody who is not us to help us develop. Someone who sees in us more than we would ever see in ourselves. That's what a great teacher is. That's what a great parent is. That's what a great friend is. We all need that. And to protect us, you're getting beat up every day. You have challenges and disappointments every day. And so you need somebody that's got your back. You need somebody that will defend you against that, that which pollutes you, which, which, which tears you down. And that's what we do for each other. Now, we have two general types of relationships, okay? In Matthew chapter 26, verse 37. By the way, the scene here is of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. All of you have people who are so close to you that you can actually grieve with them. You can let it go. Because, because they know you and they love you and they're there for you. There are people you can't do this with and you shouldn't do this with. Transparency is overrated. Don't just lay it all out there for someone who doesn't know you and will just, don't do that. You know, that's all, that's the, but there are a few, a few with whom you beat with a single heart. 
That's where the beginnings of the church are, by the way. If you have people like that in your life, I want, that's where I want you to build. That's where I want you to start the church. That's where I want you to start the church. We're going to help you. But this is, what, this is what it says. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. This isn't the first time he did that. When he went up on the mount where the transfiguration happened. That's who he took. And he began to be grieved and distressed. So there are people who are very close to us. There are also general relationships we have. This is what it says in John chapter 17. Remember Jesus is praying this priestly prayer. And this is what he says. I do not ask. He's talking with the Father. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. I want you to see this. There are some people around him with whom he does life. They're called his disciples. He says, I'm not, I'm not just thinking of them. This isn't about us. But for those who will believe in me through their word. So it, them, they're not part of us yet, but, but them who will believe. This is second generation of disciples. Now watch, not done yet. Because in the very next verse, this is what it says. That they may all be one. Now, this is where our structure is really going to help us. How are we one? If you have the right structure, if you have the right networking structure, I'm going to say that word, networking structure, then it helps you inform one another, be coordinated together. That they might all be one, watch this, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So there's three structures here, really important. There's an us, there's a them who will become us, so that eventually the whole world will believe. Now, let me, let me just say, the original church was built just this way. Just exactly this way. Let me show you a couple of... Where did I put my Bible? There it is. Let me show you a couple of uh, passages. Uh, the first one um, is from Romans. Greet Priscilla. This is uh, we, another way to spell this is Priscilla and Aquila. They were a married couple, power couple. You know, you know some power couples. Married couple... And my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks. Okay, these are my really close relationships. This is what he says. To whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Now let me show you how this works. You'll know instinctively, instinctively how this works. Many of you are, are, have the pleasure of growing up in an extended family. Before the turn of the, of, the, of the 20th century, this was the norm for America. People lived on family farms because they needed each other in terms of, of, of being able to make it financially and, and, and being able to have the support that they needed. Nuclear families were few and far between because you just needed a greater network. So the chances are, it wasn't just mom and, and pop and a, and a couple of kids. It was, it was parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. Some of you grew up like this. 
You were very close to your, and, and, and you knew how this was. It, it produced two things. First of all, it produced a clarity of values. If you, got, if you got dissatisfied with something your parents said and you stomped off to your grandparents, guess what they'd tell you? Same thing your parents said. No help there. Stomp off towards your aunt and uncle. what they tell you? Same thing, you know? And so there's this reiteration, the values that kind of kept us together. There was also people who would support us emotionally and spiritually and financially if we, held, if, if, if we, if we went through rough times. That was a necessary thing. Now, with the advent of cities and factory jobs and, and, the, and the escalation of income, people started to become nuclear families. That isn't support enough to last very long. Nuclear families are, are being crushed one after another, especially difficult for single parents with kids. Just difficult. All of us need an extended family relationship. And that's what's coming around. There was an article in the USA Today, I think it was a couple of years ago now, that says the extended family is making a comeback. And there are several reasons for this. First of all, everybody's struggling financially. You know, if, if Junior gets fired from his job and he can't live in an apartment anymore, guess where he goes? He come home. He come home. I'm just going to land here for a couple of days. That's all, you know, that's, that's all right. Plus, people are getting, uh, waiting longer to get married. The average age now of a, of a male of getting married the first time is over 28 years old. Average age of a female is over 26 years old. So they're, they're home more often than not. Parents are getting older and lasting longer, you know, but they need help, you know. They don't just shuffle off to Buffalo. They, they, they need somebody around them, you know. And a lot of time that's in the house. Plus, the impact, and this has always been the case, not just this century, but the impact of immigrant communities. If you're Italian, all right, there is no such thing as just an Italian little get-together with a three-course meal. You know, if you're Italian, buddy, it's days on end, 70 courses, you're having about... Because, because when you come in and you're kind of the stranger, this is a great, great comfort. It's a great source of, of, of buoyancy and belonging. All of us need that. Did I just say Christians are becoming more and more outsiders? Bible-believing Christians in this culture? We could do with a little bit of ethnic togetherness. We need each other. We need extended families. That's called a distributed church. That's what that is. It's an extended spiritual family. That's, that's, that's it. Now, as soon as I say that, let me show you one more passage while I'm at it. And, I can, and with this passage, let me, let me explain to you the structure of the New Testament church, which is also the structure of the distributed church. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 4. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha. Remember, now again, we have this, we have this great big picture and then this smaller personal picture. All right? And when the church started, they met in the temple and from house to house. Didn't sacrifice either one of those. 
The great grand group is of, of inestimable value, but it will never get to those personal relationships all of us need. So we have to have a smaller setting. So this is what it says. It says, and to Nympha and the church in her house, when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Okay, let me tell you how they did this back then. Because of the persecution, and because they were kind of, you know, um, um, they, they didn't build church buildings back then. Because it would be too easy to wipe them out. So they, they met in each other's houses. And when Paul sent a letter to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, that wasn't to one church in a little brick building, to, 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 to Corinth. One church, you know, the first church of Corinth. No. There were, there were in, Ephes in Ephesus, there were 250,000 people at that time. Many house churches in Ephesus. And in all of the, the, the towns around that. And so when they got a letter from Paul, instructing them, by the way, about the problems they had in their unique situation. None of those epistles, none of those letters from Paul or general epistles are alike speaking to the same situation. All of them had different situations. They came from different cultures. So they're all addressing different things. But... They were circulated among all those churches because there was a cluster of churches there and a larger network of New Testament churches. Now remember those terms, okay? So there were distributed churches. Then there was a cluster of churches in the same area and a network of the larger church, which Paul represented, whose home base was, was in, in Jerusalem. They not only exchanged information, they exchanged leadership. They not only exchanged leadership, they, they exchanged finances sometimes when needed. But the point is they had this great support system that best developed any node, any church, as well from the outside as well as the inside. Because you know what happens when a church just gets singled out? Same thing as when a disciple gets singled out. Satan's whole strategy is to get you, cut you up, and, and separate you from everybody else. It's his whole strategy. Because if he can get you alone, he can take you out. He'll discourage you to the point where you'll take yourself out. Could I just say the same thing happens with any particular church? You know, leave a church alone, an independent church, especially if it's an independent house church, within a few years they're arguing with each other. And they're finding scripture to back up their side. That's what people do. Yeah, you're wrong. Learn them, you know. Well, that's, an, that's a totally ineffective church, you know, ineffective church. You need voices from that. You need links to the outside in order to be developed and ultimately protected. Now, as soon as I explain this, as soon as I explain, I want, I want you all to begin to think how you can build the church in your relationships. Now, it may take a while, but I want you to just start thinking about this. Because that's where the church needs to be built. Doesn't replace this, but that's where it needs to be built. That's where people are really facing what they face. And most of them will never come in here or they would have been here by now. So it's not like all of a sudden people go, oh, I got to get to Northam. No, ain't, ain't happening. 
North End is to build a church out there through you, through your relationships. And you can be the spiritual convener and we will help you. But here's the first thing, the first question we get. How do you know those groups aren't going to go off the rails? All right? If they're just kind of huddled up and they're just doing their own thing and, and these aren't all seminary trained people and, and how do you just know those, those, those things are, are, are not going to go off the rail? You know, it would seem like, you know, there would be some common sense, but, but a lot of times people you think would have common sense don't have common sense. I heard a story once about a mother who was raising a precocious child and, uh, he kept eating dirt, you know? And so she, she took him to the pediatrician. And uh, she said, now I've heard that if a child eats dirt, uh, then there must be some deficiency he's trying to make up for. So does my dirt eating kid have a lack of something? And the pediatrician looked at her and said, yeah, supervision. You need to tell your kid not to eat dirt for crying out loud. Can I just, can I just take a little detour here? Just a little one. Um, there's a movie released this weekend out of a series of books that are not usually on my radar screen, but it's gotten so much press. I've, I've heard about it and so on and so forth. And, and just in case you're looking for supervision from the church as to what to do, in, in, in response to the offer of reading or watching that, just let me say this. Don't eat dirt. It, it, I don't, we don't eat dirt. I don't know what, what you think you're lacking, but you're not going to find it in dirt. It just is a general principle. There's no condemnation here. I'm, I'm not condemning anybody. It's just when, when somebody offers you to help you explore your dark side, not a good deal. Not a good deal. You know, in nature, they have things called black holes. And, and the closer you get to them, the greater the gravitational pull. And you can't be close to one of those and not get pulled in because of the gravitational pull. Same thing with exploring our dark side. Not a good deal. Don't eat dirt. Okay, now, that said, let's go back. This. Let me come back to where I was. There's two ways to supervise basically these, these groups of people who are just kind of starting out. Just like there's two ways to supervise a personal disciple, an individual disciple. Number one, call the home office. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy named Ted Malone who, uh, who had um, a radio station in Idaho, I think it was. And uh, it was just kind of a low watt, low budget kind of deal, you know, but every morning he'd get up early in the morning and he'd play music and, you know, talk and give the prices of corn and wheat and all of that kind of stuff. And you didn't call in because it wasn't that high tech, but, but he'd get letters from, from people requesting things. And, and he got a letter from a shepherd. And the guy said, I, I tend sheep. That's what I do. And he said, but I love to play the violin. And he said, I'm out here, and, and my violin's not in tune. If you could just hit an A for me, just plunk an A, then I'll tune my violin. So Ted goes, all right, 
here's your A. And he plucks the A. Sure enough, two weeks later, I got a, I got a, a, a letter. Thank you. You know, my violin is now tuned. I'm playing and I'm loving it. Well, what if you get out there and you got a question? Call the home office. That's us. We'll help you. We'll hit an A for you. And, and, and if necessary, we'll send you out a, uh, an elder who is a tuner. And, and they'll help you up. They'll help you out. That's one way. But let me tell you even a more impactful way and a scalable way. All of you who know about networks know about complex networks and how valuable they are to each other. So therefore, if these churches, watch this, start up, the first thing you need to do is to get, have a contact, a regular contact, with, with two or three other distributed churches. Because let me tell you, there's a principle. There's a principle in networking. I love this stuff. I'm not bored at all, but I know, you, I know I'm only got a, some of, you, some of you got one eye going down. So I've only got, I've got a limited, limited period of time. I know that. Uh, here's the principle. Transitivity. And this means basically, this is, this is both the help and the support and the protection. This is basically it. If A relates to B and B relates to C, then C will have an impact on A. In other words, you don't need to be, you know, people who are doing what you, you're doing will be good enough to tell you that's probably not a good way to do that. Or let me pray for you or let me help, it, help you figure it out. And so when we start both our discipleship and our distributed church, this is what it looks like. All right? Basically, we start out, when we first believe in Jesus Christ, we start as, as, an, as an individual. Wait a second. Okay? We start out... Ah. There we go. Start out as an individual. When we first form our, our, our relationships into a distributed church, we'll start out just as an individual group. All right? Quickly, quickly, we need to get related to someone else. All right? Because that is what will both give you the balance and the buoyancy that you need to have an impact for Jesus Christ in this world. And so, and so this is kind of the beginning stages of both this top one, of both discipleship and distributed churches. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. Okay, close enough. Now, when it goes on, then there are clusters formed. Here's a cluster. So you have, if, you, if you're in a cluster of discipleship, that's called a church. If you're in a cluster of churches, that's called a cluster of distributed churches. But you see what you have. And every once in a while you get together and it's like having a, having a family reunion, all right? Your particular closest relationship, spiritually or biologically, 
is, is, is called a group. It's, it's, it's sometimes referred to as a nuclear family, but, but, but more often it's called a group. Then your cousins and your, and your, and, and your grandparents and, and all that kind of stuff, that's a cluster because you have lots of families that are, that are in together, lots of, uh, and, 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 and so you'll have that. Down here is a network. This is like the family reunion, all right? And so everybody comes in. You know, your great aunt removed from your third cousin, you know, two times, or what, I don't even, I don't even know those kinds of things. But the point is that how you structure this thing, you will have all the resources and all the protection that come from relationships, not from a denominational title, not from a certain, um, um, you know, theological doctrine, not from a, not, but through relationships. And as this thing continues to spread, watch this, and I'll, I'll close with this. But uh, uh, as this thing continues to spread, it'll impact the entire world, because that's what networks do. They continue to spread, but they have the impact at the granular level. They have the impact at the personal level. That's what will break the gates of hell. That's what, that's what the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Because if this thing threads, spreads through relationships that are fully developed and protected by other relationships, Satan's got no hope. So here's, here's the last thing. Becky reminded me of this this week. When you go to a movie, they give you a ticket with a perforated line, don't they? And in order to get in, the, the ticket taker tears it, gives you back part of it, right? You used to do the same thing incidentally with, with trains. You know, you go and you had a perforated line, and this is what it would say. Not good if detached. Not good if detached. I think the good Lord ought to tattoo that on all of our foreheads. Not good if detached. We're going to do this thing together. Thanks for not falling asleep. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray a prayer both of salvation and of commitment to walk into a future that's a little bit too big for us to grasp right now. But I want to tell you, God's doing this. He's doing this among us right now. We can't even fathom what he has for us in the next few years. But he's already begun it. We can see it. Come on, go with us. All right? Just put your life out there. Trust God, because he's going to do something spectacular with you. All right, let me pray. Lord, for those of us who have not yet invited Jesus Christ into our lives, let them right now pray this prayer with me. God, I know I, I can never earn or deserve heaven. I'll never be good enough. But Jesus, I know when you died on the cross, you paid for my sins too. And you offer me the gift of salvation and a whole new life. I want that whole new life thing. Lord, come into my heart and live there and make of my life whatever you can, not what I was going to, whatever you can. And I'll follow you anywhere. And for the rest of us who have already said that prayer, we want that last prayer to be our prayer also. We bring ourselves here today to be fully developed for our purpose in this world, both by you and 
by your voice through others. Help us to walk with you into that great unknown so that we can see you do things we couldn't ask or even imagine because it's about you, Lord. It's always been about you. Amen.